Thank you for your offerings to the shambling saint, the holy Promethean. Now, you all shall serve as a sacrifice for its renewal, for the march must continue. This large creature, a colossal 40-foot undead saint, reaches out a hand towards its face, grasping hungrily at the grung druid sitting atop its head. You hear the charge of horse riders coming down at your position from the darkness in the night. And all around you, cultists drop their ropes and draw curved daggers and come rushing towards you, intending to make our brave adventurers a small but fitting feast for the shambling saint. So this colossal skeleton, this 40-foot-tall, massive, shambling saint, is reaching his skeletal arm towards Checkers. And I'm imagining this kind of happens in slow-mo, where Checkers and Mango kind of start moving, and Val has thrown the the potion of (laughs) reduced size up as high as she can. Mango drops off the side of the skeleton and just falls until he can grab the potion with his tongue and slingshots it, just completing the throw all the way up to the top of the skeleton. And everyone sees Checkers just be completely surrounded by this large skeletal hand as he reaches out and grasps the potion. And a few seconds later, as the hand is completely closed around Checkers, a small six-inch-tall grung druid just emerges from the top of these bony fingers and just goes, ah, suck it. <laughs> ah, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Kashkrin sees dozens of cultists charge in on our position, and he shouts up towards Checkers. Checkers, you're the only one that can save us! He swings his hammer at the six cultists charging him with their daggers, and in one fell swoop, he knocks all of them off their feet into the distance as Catherine just swings back and forth, taking down scores of these cultists single-handedly. Self kind of stands there, stoically taking in everything. You should never trust a priest that's controlling the undead. And Self will take off running towards the enormous stage being pulled by this gigantic undead creature. And as he's dodging cultists, as he as he moves through them, he dives onto the stage right where the chain is connected to this massive collar around this undead creature. And Self grabs the chain and just plants his feet and pulls, jerking the undead giant backwards and slightly off kilter. Val, after throwing the potion to Checkers, summons whipping energy all around her and besides her manifests a large bullfrog intent to finish what Selv had started and rush the creature's legs knocking them out from under it and causing it to come crashing down. From all around you, suddenly cries arise from all of these robed figures. Oh no! What? They're totally beating up the, our saint! What? 
And as the massive skeleton crashes to the ground, crushing dozens and dozens of cultists, Selv and Valeska, you just see the large round body of Billiam with his glorious butterfly wings and a six-inch grung riding on the back of him sweep across the battlefield, coming over to you and grabbing the hat of the prime pursuant, rushing off into the distance. Come on, guys. Let's go. The fortunate, the undead centurion looks at everyone, sees Checkers and Billiam bravely leading the group through danger and turns and says, Well, you heard him. Let's get out of here. It's time to leave this behind. And they turn and they run. And you all follow. Very quickly, the cultists, their cries fade into the background. And you hear, wait, wait, the frog saint, please come back, save us. And as soon as you're out of earshot, safe, sound, clearly the victors. The fortunate turns to you all and says, wow, checkers, you are the greatest adventurer of all time. And that's when the fortunate said, wow, checkers, you're the greatest adventurer of all time. I don't remember saying that. Yeah, checkers, I don't think any of that happened. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere. I like that you think I could pull the thing off its feet, but, uh... I do like the idea of having a very magical, powerful bullfrog. Indeed. Wait, checkers, did you actually take the hat? I mean, yeah, I have it right here. Huh. A kernel of truth in every story. everyone hi, hi nathan oh hi. Hi. oh hi welcome back to reckless attack a always real played by the book fifth edition <laughs> dungeons and dragons actual play podcast i am your dungeon master and purveyor exclusively of fine fictional truths nathan joined once more by the illustrious members of the reckless attack crew starting with Hi, everyone. My name is Steve, and I am playing Selv Esterlin, the dragonborn monk who is uh, totally buff and super able to, able to pull on gigantic chains attached to gigantic undead yeah. creatures and knock them off their feet, yeah. mostly, <laughs> with a little help from uh, the creatures conjured by the person across from me. Hi, everybody. I'm Sophie, and I play Valeska Carter, the human asterisk cleric of the Arcana Domain. And yeah, man, I cannot wait to have all the abilities as described by Checkers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. May Thank we you. all be who Checkers right? yeah, tells yeah, right. the stories. Our, our yeah. ideal selves. Yeah. yeah. Selves. <laughs> selves. Speaking of Frog Druid. Hi, everyone. I'm Checkers, and I play Checkers. Hi, everyone. <laughs> wow. The lines between reality and fiction are certainly blurred here. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan. And I play... <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan, and I play Checkers, the Grand Druid, and a Shutsy Frog Pals, Mango and Junior. 
And I will have to say, uh, don't believe in yourself. Believe in the checkers who believes in you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That'll be, be the, be the person checkers knows you are. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. No, be the person that checkers knows you can be. Kaskrin. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm David, and I play Kaskrin Brightmane, Dorvin Warlock, who can fell entire armies with a single swing of his hammer. So, hey, look at that. That's, that's neat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is very impressive. Kaskrin always rules as written. Yeah. Know, <laughs> did, did we mention that he's playing a homebrew class? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But indeed, our heroes have emerged from the clutches of the, I think we can safely call them, evil cult right at this point they wanted to eat you they seem nice enough they, for a we, while yeah we were really we thought they passed the bare minimum vibe check yes and then, <laughs> nope no really didn't Took no they did not they were being truthful in that they did want you to help them they wanted you to collect these precious herbs to help fuel kind of their control of this large creature that was all very true they also wanted this large creature, the Shambling Saint, to eat you. So, wow, you know, don't we all? It's it's all part of their. It's all in their book, How to Serve Man. <laughs> if we read the literature, we would have known. Right? They didn't provide the literature. <laughs> Canonically, it is a spoken word cult, I guess. <laughs> but you have succeeded in both ensuring a continued control of this large creature and. Albeit in a way that was maybe over dramatized, escaping successfully and leaving them uh, well behind. Hopefully, not to bother you ever again. Totally will not run into them on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That's that's how I believe all of these games work. Is that anything you do has no bearing on any future events? Yep, yeah. Exactly. You all have safely settled down for the evening. You guys know that despite the kind of setbacks that you've encountered, including your recent run-in with this strange cult, you are only a few days away from your destination, which is Deepwood, the kind of mysterious large tree city that you're kind of hoping to make a nice waypoint of civilization on your route to go visit a mysterious sorceress and help your dear friends, the Bones. You all find yourselves around the campfire Feel as safe as you can, as secure as you can out here in the wilds of Rixia. More days than not, you've been faced with, uh, you know, horrible uh, mortal consequences. But today you feel as if <laughs> so far so good. And that's really all anyone What's can What's the worst that could happen today? Yeah, ex I mean. Well, okay, on, never mind. On a, I would that. say on a sliding. Why? Why would you put that out there? <laughs> I mean, I would say on a sliding scale, you guys have, have seen a lot of some of the worst things that could happen to you. So that's that's pretty good. Maybe <laughs> maybe it'll just be all evening out this this evening. As you guys are all gathering around the campfire, you are able to take a few moments to rest, to chat, to do whatever it is that you would do on a relatively peaceful evening such as this. I think Checkers spends the evening committing his fantastical but entirely truthful story to paper <laughs> by doing a number of crayon drawings and practicing his writing in crayon and by the end of the evening he has this full stack of like depictions of Selv pulling down on a massive skeleton he has a picture of Valeska summoning and riding this large bullfrog toppling over the prime pursuant he has a picture of 
Kaskrin just sending six people flying with a single <laughs> hammer blow, and then tiny baby six inch tall checkers riding on top of Billium, <laughs> flying into the distance. <laughs> As we have the initial pages of the Chekronomicon. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you read it? <laughs> you just can't read it out loud. Ah. Val would probably spend some time journaling, writing down uh, more events that happened, send a couple sendings. Still checking with Berga. It's probably been a minute since she has, so got to. She'll probably spend all, all both sendings on Berga just to give her a little bit more info, make sure she knows the group's still around, still planning on coming back. Um, and then as Val sees Checkers working on like a fairly large stack of papers, when she notices him kind of winding down, she will offer to teach him how to bind them together so he doesn't lose any pages. Oh, wow. I've just been licking the paper and stitching it together. You know, that is, a, that is actually very close to the first way people bound books. Let me tell you. And then Val will go into a history of book binding. Didn't they also make glue out of frogs? Oh, God. <laughs> Why would you possibly suggest that? <laughs> That's awful. That's the worst thing anyone's ever said you to monster. me. monster. How could you? <laughs> More content warnings, I guess. Yeah. The really, checker just, like, covers up Junior's ears, like, yeah, look at what you did. Yeah. Really tells you about the Bronto Horses glue factory. Yeah. <laughs> Cashman would probably be taking a little bit of inventory of all the stuff that we have. We've gotten a couple of magical things in our travels, even just the last couple of days. But he finds himself, at the end of it, sitting by the campfire, looking over a bandana or a cloth that's laid out in front of him and in the cloth are the pieces of the band that we took from Agmar. He's having a little bit of conversation with the fortunate with Selv, maybe with, with Valeska at the beginning of the night and just kind of like I don't know, offering ideas, offering theories of like oh, these, these pieces still almost seem to fit together but it's like every time I, I look at them it just, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, that's, we're not metalsmiths. And unfortunately, no one has seemed to be skilled enough to fix our bands. But we tried early in our liberation to be able to do this on our own and found it impossible. In the centuries of our existence, only the Pentarchy has created well I think it would be foolish now that I consider it to imagine that they fixed us I am sure that their care from what I understand ended at creating us and sending us to battle and so he's just sort of making conjectures and, and talking about these things uh, as the night wears on Selv will be checking his, his wounds and replacing bandages where needed and then we'll we'll sit down cross-legged somewhat near the fire and just start playing the flute. Just kind of a, you know, trying to read people's moods and uh, if there is some kind of lecture or instruction going on between Val and Checkers, <laughs> he'll play something that has kind of a learning, soothing library <laughs> vibe 
And then uh, if he overhears the conversation between Cass and the Fortunate, maybe it switches to something more of kind of with an with an arcane feel to it, you know, something that's uh, maybe older, something that is that would have been played at some point while the Pentarchy was was in power. I was going to ask. So does Selv memorize music like old music or like pre-written stuff? Or does he just play the flute in the spirit of the moment? While he was learning, he tried to learn pieces that already existed. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that he knows that has already existed is probably a lot of the simpler type of melodies. But then because uh, because of his, his training at the monastery and while they have kind of a rigid structure to training, there's also a kind of a concentration on being adaptable and whatever the circumstances kind of comes in. So it kind of has almost like a jazz improv occasionally <laughs> to it while still being somewhat structured, which I'm sure any musician listening to this is probably going to be like, Steve, that doesn't exist. <laughs> and so, you know, write in, let me know. <laughs> On Rixie, it does. But that's that's what we'll go with. Uh, some kind of like structured yeah. jazz. So I think, too, as Veluska is really getting into her lecture on bookbinding, Checkers hears the flute music that Selv is playing. It just, like, starts to slip away and head over to <laughs> Selv. And just like, wow. Val will realize Checkers just walks away and stop lecturing. <laughs> She's directly talking to him I was and would say, notice. Pressed pretty high passive reception, as I recall. But... I, 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 I don't know. Uh, stealth roll? No. Uh, wow, Sal, that music sounds really good. Did you play a lot when you were at the monastery? There's a way to pass time occasionally, yes. Val now goes it. to play. I find it relaxing. <laughs> Do yep. you take requests? Um. <laughs> Davis? I, I was devilishly and no, no, no. Whatever to do. Get out of here! Really going I know back it's and forth. for the meme already! I know. I was going back and forth, Sophie, of like, do I just let David say it? Whatever. He's been go devilishly staring at well, his fine. phone. I'm gonna go back to my dumb metal bit. No, nope. do it. Do I would it. love to hear what the meme is. Show it. Tell if, us the meme, David. I, the listeners want to know. If I know the music, I'll be happy to play it. It's just, whoop, there it is. <laughs> Are you, have you heard David. the stylings of the bard Hoobastank? <laughs> Were you actually going to ask Self to play Sandstorm? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I should have. <laughs> Dang. If my recollection serves, there were a trilogy of pieces. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it goes. And whoop, there it went. Oh, <laughs> the third one—that's my favorite. Whoop there went is my favorite song. I would be happy to all the time for you. Oh. I think Nathan might quit the podcast. The fuck is, no, what I am pausing on, and sharp-eared listeners might have heard—not laughs coming from a microphone, but slow, silent headshakes—of mostly I am internally deeply tickled, both certainly at what Steve said. But also at at there was an audible pause as he was done saying his bit, and then it, I could hear in everyone's brain it click, and then everyone lost their shit all at once. And I was like, "It's, it's good. It's a good oh. podcast." It's a good game, guys. It's is what I'm saying. And now 
a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's me, Sophie. Do you want more Reckless Attack? Then join our Discord and chat with us in our community. The link for the Discord is in the show notes, or head on over to our website, recklessattack.com. We also have a Patreon. You can listen to our new show, Reckless Snack, and other content if you become a patron. We really appreciate your support, and thank you for listening to the episode. You all settle in. Self continues his <laughs> uh, musical stylings and lectures on uh, all conjugations of whoops. <laughs> and you, it sounds like, settle in to, you know, play some cards, relax, uh, continue licking pages of crayon. <laughs> and the fortunate is, the fortunate is a, is a relatively even keeled individual. And has kind of perked up every once in a while, kind of when there's a little bit of, of danger, of adventure, that sort of thing. But even then has remained pretty even keel. And you've all noticed that a lot of that facade drops, or not even, not facade, they kind of loosen up a bit when you're playing cards. You know, they get to be a little more jovial, talk a little bit more, a little more animated when sometimes they're very kind of reserved and closed off, even as they are filled with sass. Not all of the kind of, like, joy is there. They're still having a nice time, you know, dealing out cards, calling out shitty bets, all the all the <laughs> usual stuff. The fortunate eventually, in between hands, kind of just lean back and pause for a moment. And you can tell they would have a furrowed brow if they had any brow to furrow. And just kind of asks, is it always like this for you all? What do you mean? It's been a very busy several days. And a very dangerous several days. We don't talk to a lot of adventurers. Oh, like as guilders, do right. we almost die pretty much every day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Val will pull out a notebook and just there's a chart. <laughs> like a calendar with like a... Like a Mortal danger. Yeah, Red X. Yeah. Uh, and, and she'll show the fortunate of like, well, God, it's for like, the past thirty days, it's been twenty six out of thirty. I was gonna say it's like one of those like, do you remember those like terrorist threat levels yeah. of like, <laughs> it's a green day, it's a it's a yellow orange day, mm-hmm. and I'm imagining that's what Val's sliding scale of <laughs> mortal peril. We yeah, have constant state of DEFCON two. Yeah. I'm just imagining we can, like, graph it out within, like, standard deviations of, like, how dead or not we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, at, at some point, then, if we have enough data, we can determine what the next day will bring. If we allow. <laughs> God, the, perhaps we should stay in today. Yeah. Um, this day, or these, this period of days would have been a non-skull days. <laughs> Skull being whether or not we were close to death. But, um... You know, we did uh, a community event of self-defense with children. And, well, you know, checkers decided they should all have blow darts. So that was really... Uh, we thought we took them away after the first day, but they just kept getting That was up. That was you guys? That was checkers. <laughs> Nom- <laughs> Nomgar told us about that. Yeah, we, we still are 
find Namgar. Um, we're just picking up his tab at Torch and Ports for like the foreseeable future. So that's why he's been a good in a good mood. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yes, honestly, the day of a gilder could be paperwork. Well, n- no, okay, it could be paperwork if it's me or Berga. <laughs> Sometimes Cass. Selv's just too quick. He gets out of there so fast. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we pull Guilty. out a sheet of paper and Selv is gone. <laughs> but yeah, it could be just, you know, some helping the neighbors, helping the community with something, or we have to fight the Mothman in the middle of the city, or... I mean, honestly, I don't think there's not a day we've been outside the city where it hasn't been a skull day. So if you want non-close-to-death days, we'd have to be in the city. But I think Novelasco's point, it varies. It varies wildly most days. And to me, that's one of the great things about being a gilder. Yeah, that's okay to find. And I mean, we've learned so much. I have filled so many notebooks with information about Things I didn't even know existed before I joined the guild. There's kind of a a weird pause where your kind of enthusiasm is met with thought. And you all simultaneously get the sense that though the fortunate hasn't moved an inch, they are now looking at each of you individually. You hear kind of their tinny voice ask do you all fear death a difficult question death is the natural conclusion to life although some believe it is not a conclusion but just a transition however it is not something I am um, eager to transcend to I don't know that I fear death. I expect it. I've been a soldier for a long time. And it's just, it kind of comes with the territory, you know? So, I'm not afraid. It'll come when it comes. I think I have a new fear of death after almost dying in the Mothman battle. That was the first time I was that close to dying. That changed me. I'm still figuring out how. But I'd say I'm much more aware of how close it can be. And I don't think that I'm afraid of me dying. I mean... I'm not living that long anyway, so. I think I'm afraid now of other people dying. I mean, when you mentioned the Mothman, a lot of stuff happened there. And I remember what happened when that giant shadow creature stomped on you and Kaskrin. And I think about that a lot sometimes. We are out here most of our time. Well, it is often not like this. You all have found a way to hit, I think, every most dangerous thing from here 
to Agmar possible. But we see horrors, dangers frequently. And it is our job and our duty to ensure they do not come to the city. We are also never afraid of death. I believe we are alive in our own way. But I see the four of you. Excuse me, five. They say looking at Mango. Mango's extra alive. <laughs> I feel Sorry, like Mango's the eight been, of you. <laughs> I feel like Mango's been like relaxing and just like kind of rolls over like, oh. <laughs> and you do not seem to fear it in the same way. We don't talk to many mortals for many reasons, mostly because most mortals do not care to talk to us. I had always assumed that mortals just walk around every day afraid that they will die. The four of you are out here seemingly running towards death. I will say in our defense, we are running, but we don't know where we're going and death just kind of hops in the way. You may believe that. <laughs> the fortunate says with a, a just enough of a tone to know that, to, to let you know that it's technically a joke. I am not afraid of death, but I do not seek an end. I wish for others to continue. I wish to help the stone, and yet I do not fear death. It is something I've been thinking about. In a strange way, I think that's part of what makes this life worth living. Finding something that you want so badly. Something that you want to chase after that even death wouldn't stop you. Even the threat of dying doesn't deter you from running for it as hard as you can. And I think for, for a long time, for me, I was just living and death was there. But it wasn't something I, I worried about. It wasn't something I, I thought about. It was just, it was just always there. But now, I think I have something to, to run towards, something to run for, in the golden tree. And so it doesn't. Dying really doesn't matter as much anymore. Master Senga used to say. If you light a lamp for somebody, it will also brighten your path. So, do you view yourselves as lighters of lamps? I think we try to be. I think we strive to be, yes. That's part of being a gilder. We're not just adventurers. We're not here to risk our lives for the risk or for the reward, it's the purpose, the people that will benefit from us trekking through the wilderness or from patrolling at night in the city, researching what could happen. We do what we do 
because we needed a purpose and the city gave us one. And that, that was good enough. It might have been good enough at that point, but maybe now you need more. Hmm. Things to think about. The fortunate pauses again. It's just kind of that uncanny, almost alien pause where it is just long enough to be awkward, but not so long that you feel compelled to jump in. When the fortunate kind of leans back onto the rock, the makeshift table, the ground, whatever that you've been playing cards and picks up their hand and says, well, that is enough for me. Pick up your cards. And uh, by the way, you you said, Val, that we don't risk lives just to risk lives. And I, I believe you, but I think checkers might. Yeah, that does not. You're right. He doesn't apply to him. He's pure chaos in the best way possible. But that does incur a lot of consequences. <laughs> it might also not apply to Etris. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. Etris uh, is for science. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the Glorious fortunate... <laughs> the fortunate kind of digs into a bag that's been sitting next to them and pulls out this like big fist of like copper pieces that you guys have <laughs> slowly been bleeding over the course of this trip uh, and just throws them into the middle. Says, all right, ante up, everyone. For some reason, I also love the idea that because like the fortunate doesn't have to breathe. Sometimes they'll just be staring to the distance and will think they're like deep in contemplative thought and they've just fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think not necessarily that they fall asleep, but I think that happens. Like thinking of the giant, the shambling saint, like where it it stopped moving and was suddenly like almost devoid of life where it became a statue is that you would see the fortunate as kind of like relatively loosey-goosey as the fortunate is will still just almost cease to exist in some ways where it'll be like is that a stat is that just a statue or armor over there so yeah the magic wear off right yeah exactly also i like to think that because we've been on this journey for so long and we have mostly been playing cards every night Cass has started to use shape earth to make a table and seating oh, area yeah. for cards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Cast, like, knowing that he likes to be comfortable, he at least, like, d- did one of those, like, sunken pits where there's, like, a bench around, like, a bench in a square or circle, and there's, like, a table in the middle so we can all, like, sit down. I actually think that this is not the first time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. Like, this no. must be a very practiced movement for Cass. This right. is, that's why he learned the spell, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is for creating. Cast didn't want to dig trenches and, as a yeah, soldier. He's yeah. like, nah, get out of here. And, and there is one spot on this bench that has a perfect dwarf-sized butt mark <laughs> of a well-practiced earthen sculptor. Right next to it, there's like this half sphere dug out of the earth, yes. so mango can yeah. just plop next to him. <laughs> I was also going to say there's like a bowl next to oh it, so there you could put like chips in it. <laughs> and I it's love... just he's made his little like man armchair <laughs> rest thing. I love the idea that like Mango's seat is so perfectly shaped to him that like his legs don't pop out of the yes, bench. No. And it's just like his spherical head. Yes. Yeah. It's just like Got- he is in- supremely comfortable. Yes. <laughs> and the amount of hours of manpower that Kaskrin devoted to ensure maximal 
mango security and comfort is wow, mm-hmm. unparalleled. This is why I chase death. <laughs> <laughs> I must hone my skills for perfect frog comfort. So in response to the, the fortunate tossing a whole bunch of coins and saying ante up, Selv will also reach into his, his pouch to take out some coins and toss them in as well and say, every experience, no matter how bad it seems, holds within it a blessing of some kind. The goal is to find it. I believe this blessing is going to be called poverty. <laughs> Was that? I'm sorry. Did you all hear that? It sounded to me like Selv just came up with a fancy and long way to say that he folds. <laughs> I, I think I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're on to me. <laughs> the night passes uneventfully. I assume you all are setting watches, all the good stuff. Again, eventually, the fortunate is kind of able to mostly take watch by themselves, though they kind of like having another person around, not necessarily for company, but kind of full coverage, basically. I feel like Val would insist on somebody staying up with the fortunate. And like we probably developed like a schedule where everyone has the same watch. So like they get kind of used to that sleep pattern. Yeah, got it. Yeah. She would feel too bad, too guilty letting right. the fortunate stay up. By it's themselves. one of those things where the fortunate's like, you know, sure, if you want to have a watch, you can. But like, if you all just want to make sure you get a good rest, I I can do it by myself. That's fine. But yeah. If the fortunate would have been like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Bad men like, well, then this chart I made goes completely <laughs> to waste. And like, I don't. I can't waste this paper, the fortunate. Like, look at my beautiful, beautiful organized chart. And the fortunate. And like, just puppy dog eyes. Doesn't quite understand the mortal nuance (laughs) of, is this real? Will she actually have her feelings hurt? I don't know, so I'm going to play it safe and say, (laughs) fine. (laughs) Val trying to guilt the unjust (laughs) jury. I made this watch chart. What will happen if we don't use it? It's color coded. (laughs) (laughs) The next day. You guys all wake up, and the ground is finally fully dry from the days of rain earlier, and it is a relatively nice day out. It seems that there are no threats around you, though you've thought that before, (laughs) as you look out on this kind of large expanse. While you guys hit a little bit of hills partway through your journey, It is kind of now flattened back out once more so that you can see for maybe miles and miles, seemingly all the way to the horizon. One notable thing that you observe, and this is something that you noticed previously, partway through the day, you see a large shadow circling you. Looks like maybe it's a bird shaped. We'll call it bird shaped in that it is a wing and it is two wings. There is a body and it is impossible to say how far above you it is in part because of the glare of the sun, but also it is either small and a little closer than you'd think or a little further away and quite large. Cashman would pull out his little uh, telescope yeah, ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull out the tripod and I'm going to set up the telescope uh, yes. and I want to, like, I'm going to look at it. Do you have a fucking tripod, too? Roll yeah, me. Yeah, you don't. Roll me a perception check. 15. Ooh. 
<laughs> you guys, oh my god, sorry, I just got the image of like you, everyone just like their eyes craning up, shielding their eyes, trying to look and make out this shape while trying to be sort of like, what is that? What's, what's going on up there? Whereas then you like cut to Kaskrin with his full tripod, <laughs> spyglass, like adjusting. Um, I'm like turning dials. And yeah, stuff exactly. Like, exactly. A, a big cloak over part of it. Yes. To keep it shaded. Yeah. Right, exactly. You notice a couple things. A, that yes, this is indeed, appears to be a large bird. Maybe a, a raven or crow or something. You can't make out too many details just because it's just a, a little far away. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that you can really tell how far away it is is because you just barely catch a glint of something on its chest. You kind of look at it and just trying to figure out what you saw because it's not clear. And you kind of squint and catch it again just right in the sun. Hidden in feathers or or camouflaged or something you can't quite tell there appears to be a humanoid head sticking out of the plumage as it is kind of circling you all but it never really gets closer close enough that you can really see much more detail and actually probably once you pull out the spyglass yeah. is probably about when the thing kind of starts to head out head away from you okay yeah I was gonna try to maybe reach out to it but I think like you know once it becomes very clear because Catherine's not subtle he's not like you know <laughs> the, the, you can't sneakily set up a right. giant <laughs> spyglass thing yeah and, and so he sees it flying off but does get that brief look that there's something weird going on with it towards the end of the day self you hear a familiar voice ring inside of your head. Not Val? Not Val. Mm. It is the low, growly, potentially comforting timber of Namgar, one of the captains of the Agmar Guard. And you are clearly getting ascending from him or sent on his behalf. Been an attack on crossroads. Refugees at Agmar, including strange folks you rescued from the Grung. Some going to Deepwood. If close, can you ensure arrival? Sel will put his hand up and, and like, you know, to quiet people. Got your message, Namgar. We are near Deepwood. We'll meet refugees there and help with arrival and uh, anything else needed. And so the rest of you have heard that. Is there anything that you need to add? Four more words. <laughs> Tell Boyo I said hi. Tell Boyo I said in a couple <laughs> More information requested? More information requested. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that was Sophie counting down on her fingers. Four, three, two, one. one? Huh? Nana's yeah. matter. <laughs> so it takes a little bit to presumably receive, recast, probably for Namgar also to count out words beforehand. <laughs> oh, sure, because, sure. Yeah, you know, I'm, he's I'm, I'm he not expecting an immediate response. He, know, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. And so as, Selva, as you're kind of recounting this, you hear 
Details still unclear. Attack happened several days ago. City mostly fine, but Great Bridge has been ripped down. Small army, something taken. City apparently unsafe. And that is where we will end this week's episode. See you next week! Get out of my house. How did the, you get in the here? The worst guard dog of all time. Yeah. <laughs> There's wow. also biscuits on the counter. I've, all, I've like already one. burgled everything. I did see that and I was like, I literally like reached for it. It was like, I don't have permission to eat you this You have food. permission. You have permission to eat this I assumed it was like, this is statistically likely. Yeah. It seems to be congruous with other food-based experiences I've had here. <laughs> It's like Nathan, you can't. Just <laughs> <laughs> you can't just like take food off people's counters, Nathan. Yeah, you can't yeah. just do that. <laughs>